When was the last time you played? Uh, well, it was actually about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a five year old. Um, so oh. any any chance that like I step out of my office from, from doing work and you know he doesn't have a lot going on, he's like, hey, Dada, hey, can we play? So, yeah. <laughs> was, th- was that his first words? Can we play? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what did play look like for you and your son? A lot of rough and tumble play. Uh, yeah, he wanted to he wanted to fight and, and all that stuff. And, and of course, my wife was so relieved. Um, <laughs> please, please. <laughs> oh, I love it. Welcome to Lead with a Dash of Play. Here we talk about the how and why of reclaiming playfulness as adults in order to build more connected, innovative, and human-centered workspaces. Isn't that what leadership is all about? I'm your host, Mary Hendra. Let's play. My guest today is Gary Ware, play facilitator and author of the book Playful Rebellion. I've also come to find out he's a bit of a local HR celebrity here in San Diego, as you'll hear more about later in the podcast. Gary, it's so nice to have you on the podcast. Likewise, I'm so happy to be here. You spoke about your own rediscovery of play on your TED Talk. Yes. Um, for those who didn't hear that TED Talk, you you spoke about going to improv and how that was both rediscovering your play, but also had lingering effects in your work life. So do you still perform improv on stage? Yes, I do. And that has been, for me, it is like my, my anti-drug. It is the thing that fuels me. And for, for people that, um, you know, they look at it and I tell my story about how it was an to be honest, an accident, how I stepped into that, because yeah. um, I wanted to be a better public speaker and a mentor suggested I take an improv class. And I, most people who take an improv class, who like willingly seek it out, you know, they, yeah. you know, have maybe some background in theater, or they're aspiring actor, or, or maybe they want to be a sketch writer or something like that. For me, I just wanted to be a be- better public speaker. And, and I hated Toastmasters. Yeah. Um, and I took the class and it just blew me wide open um, because these activities that are training improvisers, these performers to be able to co-create stories without a script on a stage with your ensemble, um, these activities that we do to get us ready for that are activities that translate into so many different ways. It, it helps you be a better listener. It helps you have more empathy. It mm-hmm. helps you think on your feet. It helps you embrace failure. All of these things are great for just being a human and so i not only was i like hooked on it um i wanted everyone to experience that now so that's the activity part but for me my background um was in performance as in i um grew up playing music um i i played clarinet through high school and then i took up saxophone i was in different types of bands and so that like has a, a place you know in my heart um and i sort of you know, shoved it aside, like when I got too busy and I became an adult, um, I didn't have time for that. And so 
you know, me taking an improv class um, had twofold. One, I saw the the practice of learning how to do improv um, as something that everyone can benefit from. And then for yeah. me personally, the performance aspect um, really uh, lit something up for me. And it, yeah, it was my form of play. So I, I tell people, yes, everyone can benefit from taking an improv class. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to be like me and then go seek out every type of improv class and perform. That That's just only for a select few. However, yeah. just the benefits that you can get from being in class and working on this practice is very transformational. Empathy, listening, embracing failure. You, I remember you also talking about this um, this kind of lingering legacy that you got through your to-do list much faster than you previously had. Are there other kind of lingering effects that you find when you when you've played, whether it's with your five-year-old or on the improv stage? Yeah. So after I took my improv class, I didn't know I didn't know what I didn't know. And mm -hmm. I was just so excited. And I thought improv was the answer to all this. I'm like, oh, go take an improv class. You're going to have all these things. Yes, you will have that. But what I didn't realize until years later is I was playing and I was embracing, mm -hmm. you know, this play like state. And so in my book, I talk about uh, three types of rest. One that most people know is macro rest. So that's sleep. Mm -hmm. um, and we all know, you know, we should get some sleep, whether you believe it or not. You know, again, that's when our cells regenerate and, and, you know, all yada 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 that's for another conversation but there's two other types of rest that um that i experienced by taking an improv class there's micro rest so that mm -hmm. is the rest in between the work mm -hmm. um you know so you do a task um and mm -hmm. then you break and then you do something uh you know preferably yeah. something that brings you joy or you know allows you to move your body or something like that so you can yeah. rejuvenate and then there is meso rest and so meso rest means to step away from the work entirely mm. and do something else um mm. now you know that can be in the form of sabbatical uh, but again very few people have the luxury of stepping away from their work for for long periods of time yeah. um even on vacations you know i feel like people still aren't necessarily completely um you know sort of stepping away from the work uh but yeah. you know for me i say as little as like for it was a two-hour class that was considered a meso break for me i was stepping away from my work for an ex extended period of time and uh, I was doing something other than work. And again, when you do that, your brain is still working on the things that are there is working in the background. Yeah. But what's happening, you know, in these micro breaks and in, the, in these meso breaks, you are allowing yourself to rejuvenate, you're allowing yourself to experience joy, and you know, all these neurochemicals that are going to one help you connect the dots and see other amazing ideas. Um, yeah. And then two, just get you, um, you know, in a place so that when you go back to the work, your brain is like, oh, boom, boom, let me jump right back in compared to the what people mostly do is, um, you know, they go from meeting to meeting. And when they're not in meetings, they're probably checking email. Um, and then right then they go home and they're, they're barely getting any sleep. They get up and they're doing it all over again. Yeah. And and you wonder why, you know, it's taking us longer. One, because your brain's not getting a chance to catch up. And so you're probably yeah. making more mistakes. You're not being as productive because, again, you're, you know, stressing yourself out. Yeah. Um, and one quick story is, so once I, like, was really excited about this and I wanted more adults to experience this, I started doing a, um, 
I called it recess. Um, and it was in the evenings. It was after work. And I would bring some of these things that I learned in improv plus other playful activities for adults um, just as a as a break. You know, yeah. we all love recess, right? Yeah. Um, and so a friend of mine, it was the first one. And a really good friend of mine um, promised that she was going to be there. And then uh, I was about maybe 30, 30, 45 minutes out. Um, she called. She's like, hey, you know what? I really would love to be there for you. Um, but, you know, we we have a deadline and it looks like I'm going to have to work really late. Um, you know, so sorry. And then I said, do you trust me? And she's like, what? I'm like, do you trust me? She's like, of course I trust you. I said, look, I if I know you well, you probably have been in the office for over 12 hours. Mm -hmm. uh, you probably could use a break. Do me a favor. Just come to this. It's not not just for me, just come for you. Yeah. Um, you don't even have to stay the whole time. Maybe just stay for like 30, 45 minutes. You know, the thing is two hours, you know, just stay for a little bit. She was a quick walk from where we were going to be. So was it, it wasn't going to take her that long to get there. And yeah. then you can go back to work. Turns out she had so much fun. She stayed the whole time. <laughs> she went home afterwards. Okay. She didn't go back to work. Um, and then she went back early the next day and she got, the stuff that she probably would have been there like speaking saying like five plus hours you know trying to finish it she got it done in like three hours first thing Fantastic. in the morning i think of my uh father who i mentioned was a nuclear physicist he would go to concerts with my mom musical concerts opera during those spaces like the equations and the the thoughts would come together in his head in a really different way and it became almost the joke for my parents of like so what what problem did you solve tonight exactly and there's yeah. studies that shows that um inventors i believe it was inventor yeah inventors that had hobbies mm. created three times more patents than inventors that didn't have hobbies. Wow. Because to, probably for the very same reason, like your father going, you know, and exploring music is that when they're away from whatever they're inventing or the challenges that they're creating, they, their brains, are, again, are still working in the background and yeah. they're connecting the dots. And then the fact that they're doing something other than the work yeah. allows them to make these um, sort of connections that they wouldn't have made otherwise. Yeah. I was struck when I was reading your book about these four questions that you offer for identifying space to play. And I was struck in particular because I think about power dynamics and organizations. I think about belonging and inclusion. So I want to read the four questions. Yeah, please. Yes. Um, and then would love to hear you like expand please. on or share other thoughts. Yes. So the four questions are, are all my physiological needs met? Do I feel safe? Do I feel some sense of social belonging? And do I feel respected and or adequate? Yes. So with all of that, uh, it goes back to what I was saying, psychological safety. Play is something that we step into. We cannot be coerced into it. People may sort of fake it, but true play that is very transformative, that brings people together, you know, first is all about safety. We need to feel yeah. safe. And then the other things, again, our needs met, <laughs> you know, this goes back to rest. It goes back to, you know, making sure like, it's like what they say when you get on an airplane, you know, put your mask on first and then, you know, then you can help other people. When I'm working with people, 
I, you know, often find that they, before they can quote, quote unquote, be more playful, they need to, you know, make sure that they are well-fed, uh, you know, yeah. make sure that they are getting rest. Um, you know, uh, sometimes the first thing I tell people, I, I say, all right, you know, it doesn't seem like you're getting enough sleep. And again, I'm not one to say, you know, I know what they say. Oh, we all need eight hours of sleep. All right. Yes, that is the benchmark. That's something to strive for. Again, <laughs> as a new parent, that's going to say with a three month old, do you, do you feel those no, eight hours? <laughs> no, I don't. I may be in bed, for that, but it, no. So I'm saying for the rest that you're getting, is it quality? And most of the time, you know, people were answering honestly, no, because again, they treat themselves like they treat their devices where they go all the way to zero and then they like sort of pass out. And so, you know, just taking care of that and being more mindful of, you know, instead of having, you know, screen time up into the moment that you close your eyes, you know, um, do you have a wind down ritual? You know, are you starting to create, going back to the environment, an environment where you can get like adequate rest, whether it's four hours, six hours, or, or whatever the case might be. Again, taking care of yourself. Um, and then, you know, the other big thing is respected. Um, and that's why I said that we need um, upper management to buy into this, because if people don't feel respected, um, this is like the big, big one. If they don't feel respected, they're not going to like truly uh, bring out you know, their playful self. And when I mean playful self, it is just their authentic self. Um, you know, the what they say is like the best way to really know someone is spend an hour of play with them. Because um, my mentor, um, Gwen Gordon, she says, play brings out your unbounded true nature. Um, you know, and most of the time we lock that up because, um, you know, it goes back to like when we were young and, you know, we don't want to be made fun of. And, and at work, you know, we want to be respected. And so we we sort of posture and we act a certain way because we think that's going to bring respect. Um, and again, not saying that it doesn't, but there's a deeper sort of, um, you know, having this belonging um, and belonging, I feel like is the result of all of that. Like you really feel like you're, you belong when all of these things are met. Um, and when you truly feel like you belong, that's where some magic can happen because you can speak your mind without the fear of being retaliated, retaliated against. And play does that uh, because again, it creates, um, it's a sense of vulnerability where everyone is in it together. Yeah. And you are, your body's producing um, serotonin and oxytocin. Those are the neurochemicals that helps you trust other people and helps you feel like you belong. So when that happens and you have that environment, if things aren't necessarily going as well, you feel like you can speak your mind and it it doesn't mean that it's going to be comfortable you know mm -hmm. it, it still may be uncomfortable but you feel like you can do that and yes you can deal with it and everything's going to be fine rather than oh if i say this are they going to hate me or am i going to get fired or something yeah. like that like that is not you know that is a proving ground sort of mindset not a play you know a yeah. playground of possibilities mindset in these current times, we often see organizations and, and employees who are trying to challenge some of the embedded like systemic sexism and racism. Can play help us do that? Or do we need to fix that first and then we can play? Uh, play can help. And one of the things that I've learned, uh, there's a number of research that talks about this, is when you're in a play-like environment, mm 
you suspend your brain, your unconscious brain suspends like your sort of belief of the world for the rules of the game. Take, for example, uh, golf. Um, have you played golf before? Do you golf? <laughs> Does mini golf count? Mini golf counts. <laughs> <laughs> then yes, I played yes. last uh, week ago. <laughs> okay, great. So with golf, if you think about um, trying to get from the ball from point A to point B, the way that we play golf is not an efficient way of getting the ball from point A to point B. That is not the Especially most. Especially not the way I play. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, same. Um, however, we suspend our belief structure for the rules of the game. We willingly use a club to hit the little <laughs> ball and then in the case of mini golf around these obstacles to get it into the hole in as few yeah. strokes as possible that is not an efficient way of doing it if we were being logical you know maybe we should throw it or something like that my point is that when you're in a play like state you suspend disbelief for the rules of the game and as a result of that uh, sometimes you can have some amazing uh, discoveries and realizations of different points of view that you wouldn't have gathered um, had you just had a discussion about power structures or about systemic uh, racism or anything like that. Case in point, I was working with a group and I was having them do this activity. It's very silly. They were just moving about the space and then I gave them different prompts and they had to respond like how they would respond given that um, uh, prompt. Like for example, um, I said, all right, uh, when I say go, anyone who you, who you come close to act like they have cooties how would you act <laughs> you know and, and whatnot uh and then they would do it was very silly people like, ooh, ooh, you know and then yeah. like all right cool now when i say go um anyone who you come close to ignore them you know just mm -hmm. you know and, and then um i even went through you know anyone you come close to um imagine that they're a good friend you haven't seen in years mm -hmm. and again this is a group of adults here who are like yeah. giving high fives and hugs and 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 stuff. Granted, this was pre-pandemic. I, I I have adjusted it since then because you know our yeah. sort of norms have changed slightly. But the whole point is, we went through that whole game. Everyone played it perfectly, and then mm -hmm. we talked about it. We we and then I asked. I said, um, you know, um, for the one there were two in particular that I was curious about. Um, one was the ignore, and I said mm -hmm. for the ignore, um, how many people felt normal? number of hands raised and they said oh talk about it and the, this guy vp you know high status He's like oh you know that's just normal you know i, I come from new york and and uh, i'm a busy guy and that's what i normally do i'm like all right cool great cool how many people didn't like that and didn't feel normal and then there was this person um um they raised their hand and they said they felt ignored they felt like they didn't belong um and Again, the room was silent. Everyone took it in. And, and we went through some of the other ones of like, hey, how do you know, the best friend? Oh, it felt great and stuff like that. Well, you know, and so then after, as I said, what sort of connections are you making from doing this activity that you can relate to your day to day? Now, yeah. that VP, that person who said that they felt normal, um, the you know, just ignoring people. Yeah. Had this big realization and the realization was this. That's how we normally operate. And mm -hmm. if if that made people feel that way in a game, he realized, like, I wonder how that is making people feel in the office. Mm -hmm. When I am just busy and I'm not making eye contact, I'm going straight from my office to the break room to this, that, and the other because I'm in a mm -hmm. hurry. And he said 
he feels like he's probably causing a wave of despair. Oh. Un- like unintentionally. Yeah. And so I, that was through a game. And, and that yeah. person came to that realization themselves without any sort of prompting. Matter of fact, I wasn't even trying to do that. Yeah. But that was them coming to the realization. And that was through a game. That was through a playful method that they, um, you know, that person came to the realization themselves. And then we had a discussion about it. It's like, all right, cool. Yeah. All right. You didn't know that. But again, through this game, you realize that what could you do differently? What could you start to yeah. implement as a result of that? And that was through a game. Well, and it and it speaks directly towards an issue that we often talk about in conversations around equity and belonging of of intent versus impact, yes. right? And how you can have positive intent or just like neutral, not be aware of your intent, and it can have a negative impact. And and that that person came to it with a self realization is really powerful. Yeah, compared to. You know, in some situations, again, intent versus impact, the intent is maybe to educate someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the impact is that the person gets defensive. Yeah. And then further, like maybe sort of backpedals or, or like, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Yeah. Shuts down, digs in their heels and says, well, but that wasn't what I intended. Right. Yeah. So I love that example. Thank you. All through play. And so now someone has a different um, you know, perspective as a result of that. Um, so that's the first thing. Again, play um, when done with the right intentions can help people see things from another perspective. And then just the sure activity of, of playing with each other um, can can uh, start to shift um, people's sort of uh, belief structure and how they perceive other uh, classes of people. Mm. So in the book, Super Better by researcher Jane McGonigal, she talked about a study that was done um, I believe it was in, in a country in Asia where they had, uh, I think it was in Taiwan, and they had um, a situation where there was elders and then um, and young, um, young participants, and the elders were extremely lonely, and then the young participants weren't getting mentorship, and so they, they put them all together. And so the yeah. control group, uh, their only task was for an hour uh, a week. Uh, they got together once a week for an hour. They just, you know, spend time together, you know, have conversations, yeah. you know, whatever you want, just spend time together. And then um, for the experiment group, they had them play Nintendo Wii. Um, you know, and that's the the game system where like it's very movement based and and yeah. for an hour, you know, once a week they played the Wii. And after uh, 30 days, they surveyed uh, both groups. And as expected, you spend time together, you have a stronger affinity towards the other person across yeah. the board. Everyone felt like a stronger like they had a stronger affinity towards them. Now, the surprising thing happened with the experiment group, the, uh, the group that um played the nintendo wii not only did they have a stronger affinity towards the person they were with they had a stronger affinity towards that group as a whole Mm. they saw all older people as uh you know um with a stronger affinity um the group that that um had the the wii and then all um and then the older people saw all younger people so again if and this is sometimes you know a bit challenging to get maybe d- dispersed groups that maybe um you know have challenge with each other to get them to play uh together but just continuous play with people that are different from you will help you um have that empathy and see a stronger bond towards them well and it's really powerful to that it shifted the view so it wasn't just like the exceptionalism of oh well 
you know, that group is generally like this, but Gary individually is this way. And instead going, oh, maybe I need to change my own opinion about that whole group. Yes. Mm. Thank you for sharing that example. Play is so much part of who you are. Right? It, you've written a book about it. You speak about it all the time. You train about it. I have to tell you, even uh, last week I was at an event and I mentioned the the title of my podcast and immediately the person said, oh, have you talked with Gary Ware? <sighs> no way. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So there's two questions that came from somebody who was in a really great workshop with you. She loved it. And she was curious, two things. First off, how do you move from games in a single session? So, you know, whether it's a workshop or a play shop, however you call it, where there's games have been part of it. How do you move from that to having a whole culture in an organization that embraces play? Great point. What typically happens is I will go and work with an organization either through an event or, or through like a team building thing. And yeah, we'll play these games and it unlocks things for people like, wow, that was a lot of fun. And, and we start making connections of like, hey, you know, what is, how does this relate to your day to day? And then I leave. Uh, but what happens is for a lot of people, they go back to their day to day and they're met with resistance because they mm -hmm. were, they were sort of they got a glimpse of this possibility you know through yeah. play and then you know you go back in a homeostasis a homeostasis is essentially going back to like the normal state of being and your body you know sort of likes that homeostasis and so then you go back and then you're met with resistance of like well gary like we did these things with gary and and we're back at work and 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 it's not that like what what do we do so you're absolutely right um the first thing is just having the awareness the acknowledgement that things could be better and that's what i love mm -hmm. about um, you know, giving people a glimpse of it through a workshop is that they see very quickly that in a short period of time, you can bond uh, with other people, you can learn a lot about yourself and others, and then you can see a new way of, of doing things. Uh, so having the awareness is, is crucial, because without the awareness, again, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, so now it's, it's like, boom, you know, it's, it's opening up, you know, your worldview. Um, the other thing, uh, which some people have the benefit of of experiencing this and, and doing something about it. Others, it's very unfortunate. It has to be something where everyone is open to shifting. Mm. And it needs, like, yes, we can have, that's why my book is called, you know, The Playful Rebellion, as in, you know, we are, we are challenging the status quo and we're rebelling against those old practices that no longer serve us. And yes, we can get some groups within the organization to be rebels with us and, and we start making some change. However, if it's not embraced throughout the organization, you know, there's a chance that it it may not stick because leaders, whether they believe it or not, have more influence because of their behavior, you know, than they uh, realize. Like, uh, yeah. I'll give you a quick story. I had a boss who was all about like, yeah, everyone take your breaks and all these other things. And, you know, HR said to do this, but, you know, and he didn't participate in it, but he was like, Go, go do that. However, it was like an unspoken rule. like, well, he's not taking lunches, Ugh, yeah. you know, and yeah. then it became, you know, became like the thing that 
everyone else modeled. So the next big thing is, you know, how can, um, you know, this become a sort of thing that is embraced through leadership, where leadership yeah. is walking the walk, you know, not just saying, oh, yeah, go, go do that. So that's yeah. the next big thing. Uh, and then the yeah. third thing is it starts little by little. Like if you set out to run a marathon, you're not immediately going to be a marathon runner if you haven't done it before. You, you need to put little things in practice to start yeah. to transform your, your habits and belief structures. Yeah. The second question that that this yes. person asked me about was really how you open play beyond the individuals or the leaders of an organization that are in that meeting or that workshop, learning about it to the people who maybe didn't experience it with you. Any any thoughts you can share about how that change happens or that transfer happens? Well, I feel like it's a ripple um, where I I come, you know, I, I create um, uh, an environment that is filled with um, psychological safety. So people feel comfortable, you know, mm -hmm. exploring and being themselves. You know, that is crucial for play to happen. Um, you know, if we're stressed, you know, we like I said in the beginning, we can't necessarily you know, play, we can be sort of pushed into it, but we're not in a true play state. So we need to create that levels of psychological safety. And then, you know, it's all about just modeling it and creating this experience where people are really enjoying it and then inviting them to share it. Uh, but sometimes, again, just like my very first improv class, I was, I was filled with so much joy, and I enjoyed it so much, I felt compelled to tell people about it. And then mm. my actual behavior shifted mm -hmm. um and when i when i coach people and you know the first thing that they say well my significant other is very serious and they're they're not really in, into this you know how do i get them to do it and and i say well the first thing is not to like if you try to push them into it it's, it's going to backfire yeah first thing is how can you shift yourself how can you change your own behavior so that you maybe even spark some curiosity in them and they are like oh man i see something different and and yeah. they will be more willing to be open to it and one of the be beautiful things about play is it makes you more empathetic so mm -hmm. um with that person that i was coaching they realized that because they had this belief that their significant other was not playful it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy mm -hmm. where they didn't necessarily invite them to play because they thought, oh my God, they're too busy. But once they started just embracing it and then, you know, being open to realize that maybe they, you know, they can shift it, you know, yeah. it just came back and they said, oh, problem solved. I was like, oh, how did, how did it work? It was like, oh, well, I just, you know, was really into, you know, playing some, some board games and stuff like that. And then I just invited them to play and, you know, we had a great time and then they said, well, we should do more of this. <laughs> and then, you know, again, yeah. Yeah. You don't know. I could keep talking to you, but I know we have short time. So <laughs> this is amazing. This is such a great, uh, yes, I can, I can talk for hours and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> this has been such a delight. Before we end, how do people get in contact with you or see when you're having a recess or other activity that they might join? Yeah. You can go to my website, breakthroughplay.com. Um, I, I do my best to keep my schedule updated on when I have public offerings. There's info on my book yeah. there. And I'm on all the 
most of the socials. Um, you can just look me up, uh, Gary Ware. I play mostly uh, in the LinkedIn space and on Instagram the most. So um, that's where I'm the most active. But yeah, feel free to ask me a question. Reach out. I, I love hearing from people that are curious about this and I yeah, would love to hear from you. Perfect. And could you leave our listeners with one invitation to play at work? All right. Invitation to play at work. So you heard, you heard this conversation and, and it piqued your curiosity. The simplest thing to do um, is this, I, I have this in my book as well. And it's just a recipe where think about maybe a time when you can use a, a play break, if you will. And it's hard to just, go and do it, you know, because again, we have our normal routines and stuff like that. And so the easiest way I learned this from researcher BJ Fogg, who talks about tiny habits, and it's a recipe. And it uh, goes like this after or before af before or after I blank, I will do blank because it will make me feel blank. So okay. uh, maybe you have a tendency to go from meeting to meeting to meeting without breaks. Um, so you know, your recipe who would like possibly this. do that i know right <laughs> who would possibly do that and so so this might not apply to you but if it does great <laughs> uh, but it could be you know uh, after i finish uh, a long meeting i would take 10 minutes and stretch or 10 minutes and and play with my dog or you know whatever insert any sort of playful activity that appeals to you uh, and then this is the big thing uh because it will make me feel blank um you know you it sucks that I have to say this, but as adults, we feel like we have to justify everything. So go ahead and do it. You know, uh, let your let yourself know, like, what is your intended, you know, feeling from that? Like, you know, because I, you know, it will make me feel uh, rejuvenated or because I deserve it. You know, you do deserve it. Yeah. And then, you know, that is your recipe. And then um, the goal is after you do it, um, do some sort of celebration. And I'm not saying go give yourself a spa day, but like it could be like do a, do a little dance or something. The celebration is yeah. important um, because it gives you dopamine, um, which is that neurochemical that is going to make you want to do more of it. Uh, so that's my little tip, my invite for for you to play, um, you know, especially at work. Um, yeah. And it's my hope that by doing that, you do start to see the benefits of, um, you know, a playful environment in work and they can coexist. I appreciate the the recipe also for potentially giving the language that you might share, use to share it with other people, where you might say, hey, we're just ending this Zoom meeting. I need 10 minutes because I need to go do this because I know it will make me feel better in this way. There you go. Love it. You know what? Real quick, another pro tip. If you have a uh, challenge like if you feel like this is going to be challenging for you to um to adhere to by just having the recipe put it in your calendar <laughs> just, go, just go put a 10 minute block no one's going like if, if someone's like hey where were you the last 10 minutes just, i was in a meeting it's in your calendar i was meeting with myself but nobody needs to know that no one needs to know that i was in a meeting hey i'm back there we go. I love that tip. <laughs> thank you so much for this conversation, Gary. No, thank you, Mary. This has been such a delight. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Lead with a Dash of Play podcast. Reza Zaidi and Joanna Stevens created and provided the beautifully playful and reflective music you hear in this podcast. The song is titled holding rain. This podcast was created out of curiosity, and I hope you'll share your thoughts and questions with me. Email me at mary at maryhendra.com 
or join the conversation on LinkedIn, redefining play and reclaiming this leadership skill for its potential to bring authenticity and joy into our professional spaces.